What's up, NFL fans? Welcome to another episode of Four Down Territory. I'm your host, Luke Easterling. As always, joined by Doug Farrar, the czar of the X's and O's at Touchdown Wire. Doug, how was your uh, NFL weekend? Not not very eventful, right? Not not much uh, magic happening on the field. Pretty boring. I can't think of a game we should talk about, or an event we should talk about, or a quarterback we should talk about, and, and nothing breaking out. No weird overtime games. It was kind of a you know just no epic straight... catches of the year. No, 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 no games no. of the year. No, uh, you know, <laughs> no battle of the heartbreak between the only teams to lose four Super Bowls in their franchise history, or anything like that. Uh, maybe we'll have some stuff to talk about next week. Should we just cancel the podcast, or should we try and uh, figure I, out four things could, to discuss? We could, we could, but I feel like we should at least talk about the Raiders and the Colts, right? We oh, have- yeah, there wasn't a coach uh, for the first time since Norm Van Brocklin in 1961 to have no college or NFL experience be a head coach and then actually win. Yeah. Do we have that? Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess if, if we're already here, Doug, let's let's just start there. Yeah, what the um, heck. Raiders dropped to two and seven on the season, right? You lose a humiliating game to the Indianapolis Colts. Josh McDaniels found himself outcoached by Jeff Saturday, literally coming in off the street, basically to, uh, to take over as the interim head coach after Frank Reich was fired. Um, obviously we remember McDaniels disastrous tenure in Denver in 2009, 2010. He was fired after that 2010 season ended, but given what you've seen from him in his, his second act so far with the Raiders, is it time for Mark Davis to to make him a, a short timer again uh, for the second time in his career? You know, the interesting thing about this, Luke, is Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the Broncos, has been everyone's punching bag this year, and rightly so. You could argue that McDaniels has done less with more. Remember this when John Gruden's whole email thing, sexist, racist, homophobic, all that, and he got fired. <clears throat> Rich Bisaccia, who's now the Packers special teams coach, comes in interim. They made the playoffs last year. With Henry Ruggs' thing, and I mean, all this disastrous stuff, they actually made the playoffs. They're two and seven, and they traded for Devontae Adams. It, it's just, <sighs> they hired a gifted defensive coordinator in Patrick Graham, who was great with the Giants, very multiple, very sort of Belichickian. And now that defense is just sitting there waiting for stuff to happen to it. Uh, you have an offense with Devontae Adams has struggled to fill in, and you really have to go out of your way to make that happen. To If you want to erase Devontae Adams from week to week, you have to go into like the depths of your playbook to figure that out. I think, and I'm sure you saw this, like Derek Carr breaking down and crying in the postgame pressure because he was just so, as he put it, pissed off about the losses and the effort and all that. Um you know, I, I know that McDaniels has curbed the impulsive tendencies that made his time with the Broncos historically bad. I talked to him for a few minutes at Super Bowl 49 media day when he was a Patriots offensive coordinator. And I asked him, like, what did you learn? And he, you know, he had a he made a, a compelling case. I thought, well, maybe this guy like Belichick, like Pete Carroll, like a lot of guys, when they get their second opportunity, they're going to do it differently. Now, McDaniels hasn't been all over the place, just doing crazy stuff. But, you know, I you start to think some guys are not head coaches. They're, they're good coordinators. They should stay in their lane. And, you know, whatever the skills required of a head coach at the NFL level, this is now two spots, both in the AFC West, where McDaniels just doesn't seem to have those, those alpha skills. And that was never more evident than it was on Sunday. Yeah, I, I literally find myself every week at least once saying out loud, how can the Raiders be this bad, right? This really did feel like a team last year that when they traded for Devontae Adams in the offseason, they're like, okay, that makes sense. They feel like they're a Devontae Adams type of move away 
from taking that next step and being a legit contender, right? So just, well, to watch that team come into this season, and again, hopefully, you know, you're, you're playing with an interim head coach. You had all that turmoil, like you mentioned. You have maybe a little bit more stability, at least with a new head coach. You have a, a, a clear focus, right? A philosophy, you know, you know what it's going to be moving forward. And when you look at the personnel and, and it doesn't match with the result, you obviously have to look to the headsets, right? I mean, and that starts with McDaniels. It doesn't look like he's learned much at all, if anything, from his time in Denver, right? Obviously, some of the problems might be different. But like you said, man, some people can do the job. Some people can't. Some people should call plays. Some people can be in charge of the whole the whole thing and be successful at it. Some can't. I think not only should we know that by now with, with McDaniels, but I think we should have known when the Colts debacle happened. When he left them at the altar so late in the process, we probably should have known then this was not a gig for him. And there's some karma for you from the Colts, right? <laughs> Didn't even think about that, but that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's Oops. not – maybe – I feel like I would give more credit to that than Jeff Saturday, but maybe that's just that's maybe that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, we'll I, see how that yeah, goes. It's it's, sure. it's rough. And the thing is, he doesn't have any guys on his staff who have head coaching experience per se. So that may stay his uh, professional demise for a while. But if you're Mark Davis and you, you hear about Mark Davis like having all these meetings with McDaniel's, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I mean, there are only so many answers you can give before you run out of rope. So we'll see. Yeah, like when you bench your veteran quarterback and do all the things that the Colts just went through. It'd be fun. Hmm. All right. All right. We got to we got to move on from that. Uh, we'll talk about some guys that are actually playing football on the field uh, and doing really, really well. We'll start at the, the game's most important position. Based on the in-season performance you've seen so far, who is the best quarterback in the NFL right now, Doug? Uh, right now, <laughs> Lucas, I think it's two attack of Iowa. Yes, he has Tyreek Hill and Jaden Waddle to throw to, but in Miami's 38 to 17 win over the Browns on Sunday, he threw touchdown passes to three different receivers Hill, uh, receiver Trent Sherfield, and fullback Alec Ingold. When you're getting like, you know, motion to fullback flat. People too, Doug. Yeah, as we discussed with Geno Smith last week, Tua is making all the hard stuff look easy, whether it's throwing under pressure, taking shot plays against too deep coverage, throwing to all levels of the field. He has just, he's been about everything you want from a top tier quarterback. On Sunday, this is nuts. He became the second player in NFL history with at least, at least 275 passing yards, three touchdown passes, and a passer rating of 135 or higher in three consecutive games. The only other guy to do it, Kurt Warner in 1999. Kurt Warner was the MVP. He was a Super Bowl MVP. He just he cleared out the you know everyone else's trophy case. Um, I would love for Tua to have about 10% more juice on his deep throws, and you can see there are occasional shots he doesn't take with those vertical receivers. But as far as running an offense in this capacity, I haven't seen his equal this season outside of maybe Jalen Hurts, and we're taping this Monday morning. We'll see Jalen play Monday night. And Tagovailoa is starting to remind me a little bit of Drew Brees and how he does it. And last time I checked, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. And, and again, you know, last week we were singing Geno Smith's praises. I was talking about him as an MVP candidate. I still believe that. I still am, am totally in on, on Geno Smith, even after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did a really good job for most of that game, uh, keeping him in that offense and check in, in Munich. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, again, I think you make a strong, strong case for him, but I just don't think anybody's playing like two is playing like now. And, and again, injuries have always been the biggest question mark with him, right? Mm -hmm. at, at full strength, he's always been a dynamic passer with this like limitless potential, right? And so now that he's healthy, he's got a great scheme and, and play calling that fits his strengths. Mike McDaniel's doing a great job oh. in his first year. 
He's got that offense much- is like it, it's the, it's the endless buffet if you're an X's and O dork. It's just so much fun to watch. It, it really is, and and again, when you've got the two most explosive pass catchers in the NFL, obviously he won't apologize for having those guys. But no. we're seeing just how good he can be with the things that really every quarterback wishes they had to be successful. Right? I I tweeted this morning just joking around that every quarterback is a system quarterback. And I believe that because the scheme can hold back even the best players sometimes and really regardless of position. But I think you see it at quarterback more than anything. Considering what the conversation was surrounding Tua of, you know, a month, a month and a half ago with the injuries and all these questions, the fact that he's at full strength, he's healthy, he's thriving in this offense, he's taking full advantage of the scheme and the talent that's around him. I just love to see it because he's he's healthy and he's performing at, at the level we all thought he could going into that draft. It's really just great to see. Now, Doug, we joked about this earlier, but for real, we got to get into this this Vikings-Bills game, right? We, we have a very strong candidate already in Week 10 for Game of the Year. 33-30, Vikings win in overtime over the Buffalo Bills. In that game, let's just talk about the receiver. We could, talk, we could do an entire episode of this show on just the last five to ten minutes of that game. It was I almost thought about it when I did the rundown. Like, let's just do four points on this game. So we down the four moments in this game. We could yeah. absolutely do that some things we've just never seen before in, in critical situations. But let's talk about these receivers, right? Because this this all stems from the same trade, the Bills and the Vikings making a trade that ended up with Stephon Diggs going from Minnesota to Buffalo. Minnesota gets that first-round pick. They spend it on Justin Jefferson. In this game, both of these guys lived up to to what they were, you know, what those teams invested in them, right? Making making it a very fair trade. It seems like on a weekly basis, but this time on the, the same extremely field. rare win-win, 100% win-win for both teams. You don't see that a lot. Yep. Absolutely. So, in terms of team building, Doug, if you were going to build an offense around one of these two receivers who again were traded for one another in the in 2020, which one of these guys would you choose and why? I think it depends on how good your hypothetical team is right away. Jefferson has more explosive potential than Diggs at this point in his career, but Diggs isn't far behind. And Diggs has a better understanding of the nuances of the position. Not a surprise as Diggs has been in the NFL since 2015, and Jefferson is in his third NFL season. But, Luke, if you remember Kirk Cousins' end end zone interception, uh, Darius Slay against the Eagles in Week 2, Jefferson ran that fade route, but Slay ran Jefferson's route better than he did. I struggle to think, especially, and we're going to get into Josh Allen's issues in the red zone, I struggle to think that Diggs would have contributed to that mistake at the same level. Now, again, we're talking really, really fine points about maybe the two best receivers in the game, or certainly top five. Um, But I I would get the slight edge to Diggs right now if my team was ready to contend, and I would just hope that I didn't regret it if I'm against your team and Jefferson just nukes my cornerbacks all over the place, which he is more than capable of doing. Yeah, I think I, I took a um, a you know Madden fantasy draft or like a dynasty draft, at, you know, angle with this. If I'm building an offense kind of from the ground up, um, I, I go with Jefferson just because, like you said, you're kind of splitting hairs on the skill set, right? And you know, Jefferson, you've got a little more height and length, and he's also five years younger. He's 23 instead of 28, so that's kind of the way I went with it in terms of building an offense. Give me the younger guy who I think again is probably at Diggs' level in nine out of 10 traits maybe, but he's got still so much more growth to, to, to have. He, he, we really haven't seen his ceiling yet. I feel like maybe we have seen Diggs' ceiling and wow, it's high. Um, but I feel like, again, if they're so close now, the fact that, that Jefferson's just 23 and he has so much more growth ahead of him, the fact that he could be even better than that is, is why I would probably plant my flag on that side of it. 
Right. Well, per next gen stats, this, this came out yesterday. Uh, Jefferson has more contested catches than any receiver in the NFL since he came into the NFL. Um, with Diggs, it's just more like the really, really. We're talking about Hall of Fame level fine points. How to fool a cornerback? How to you know <laughs> do leverage and just dislodge defenders and things like that? And I have no reason to believe that Jefferson won't acquire all those skills. He's already got a lot of them. I'm talking you know 98 versus 100 as far as those skill sets go. So it's you know two great receivers, and there you have it. I feel like we're going to have to have a new word instead of contested catch for whatever that was from Jefferson on fourth and 18. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Somewhere somewhere beyond contested. That was absolutely ridiculous catch. So uh, let's finish up uh, back in the AFC East, Uh, Doug. Let's, let's go the bills six and three dolphins and jets also in the AFC East. There's a huge battle at the top there and the Patriots really aren't far behind. You got all four teams, still heavily in the race for that that division crown. A primary reason for Buffalo not really reaching their potential or hitting those high expectations on a consistent basis so far this season, Josh Allen's issues in the red zone, right? You mentioned it earlier. 35 touchdown passes, two interceptions in the red zone last year. This season, 11 red zone touchdowns and already four picks, including the pair that he threw to Patrick Peterson on Sunday in that loss. I mean, again, you wrote about this. You broke it down. Tell us what's going on here. If you include the interception you threw to former TV, teammate Levi Wallace against the Steelers from the Pittsburgh 21-yard line, he's already got five picks in the red zone. He missed that by one yard. He also leads the NFL in interceptions with 10. He had 15 all last season. And I think this goes back to Brian Dayball leaving the OC job to be the HC in uh, NYG, to paraphrase Bill Belichick. There you go. Allen is a quarterback who needs to be managed and closely monitored because he has every possible physical attribute. We've seen this. But he also has a rogue gene, going back to Wyoming, that will have him believing he can make any and every throw, including and especially all the ones he shouldn't. Dable had a really and Dable had Allen from his, from the start. So he was able to build Allen up into that best version of himself and go through all those steps. So he had a, a trust with Dable, I think, that was different. Ken Dorsey, who replaced Dable this season, was Allen's quarterback coach. He was a passing game coordinator. But I don't see the same discipline I saw before, especially in those key moments. It's been going on long enough for me to think that there is a problem in the translation from coaching to execution. And I don't know how you necessarily put that toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, you know, I'm not in the room, so I, I, I let's assume on the positive side he's listening to Dorsey and Dorsey's saying all the right things. Okay, fine, but if it do, if it's not working on the field, then you have right, to change right. something. So there is a problem there, and it's it's happened enough to where you have to take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, again, I'll always defer to the uh, to you on the X's and O's here. That piece you wrote on Touchdown Wire is fantastic, breaking down um, this issue in particular, but. You know, I agree with everything you're saying. He just looks like a guy who, again, we've seen this before from him in certain streaks. He's trying to play hero ball on every single snap. It didn't work well for him at Wyoming when, again, coming out of his sophomore year, he he had a great year and everybody was like, oh, this guy's going to be a really great prospect. They were talking about maybe he jumps into the draft a couple years early. He goes back to Wyoming and he regressed that last yeah. season at Wyoming. His numbers dropped and it was really concerning. And it was a lot of the same thing. There was one play in particular where I, I, he ran – it was like Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl against the Bucks. He ran like back and forth, like 80 yards behind the line of scrimmage and then like heaved the ball, crossed the field the other way, and it got intercepted. Like there's just no reason for any of what happened. 
And again, you talk about the, the, the change and the lack of discipline there. You've seen him develop it once. You've seen him come from, again, what we saw at Wyoming to what we saw at his rookie season in Buffalo to what we saw last year under Dable when you see that growth. So I, I believe in his competitiveness. I believe that oh, there's that no question. will do everything he can to get there and, and turn things around. But again, like you said, it's got to happen during the week. You can't, you've got to be doing the right things during the week in the meeting room, on the practice field, and all of those reps, that fuels what happens on Sunday. And you can't do all of this work and then have the results show that none of it matters without trying to figure out which button you have to push to get that guy back to what we saw last year when we saw so much growth in terms of all you, because you, we saw all the big plays last year too, right? We saw sure. the great big arm and all the huge throws and all those things, but the difference was the discipline, the lack of turnovers, taking what was given to him and not trying to force things before he needed to. Hopefully he gets back to it. I'm confident that he can, but again, like you said, it's happening frequently enough right now to where it's, it's definitely a concern. Well, after the game, Patrick Peterson, who's been in the NFL, I believe, 14 years, probably a Hall of Famer at some point, um, said to the to this effect, we knew in those situations Josh was going to trust his arm, which means, yeah, he's going to go rogue. He's going to do these things. And, you know, that's that's great when it works, but when it doesn't, you wind up with situations like this. It's, it's one of those things that as, you know, when you're evaluating draft prospects, you'd much rather, and this is something coaches say all the time, you'd rather say whoa than sick them, right? You'd rather have yep. a guy that you have to kind of scale back instead of a guy that you have to like hype up and ramp up to get him at the level it takes. You know, I need a quarterback with that kind of arm arrogance, but yeah. I also need one who's going to take the coaching and, and, and develop that discipline so that in key moments in games, it's not, it's not getting into trouble. I always think of the Mike Holmgren uh, sideline rants at Brett Favre in Green Bay in the 90s. No, no, no. Yes, because it was like, oh, my God, don't make that. Oh, yes, he did it. Because yeah, the guy yeah. who pulls up from, from 35 feet for the three-pointer and you're screaming no, and then it goes in and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, but we have a process versus outcome issue here That's, uh, is uh, how I would see it. That's how I would see it too, Doug. And, uh, again, we thank you so much, NFL fans, for joining us another week of four down territory in the books as always for Doug Farrar I'm Luke Easterling and we'll see you next week take care everyone